This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Coming up on Studios America, Alex Epstein is here to explain why the Taliban's climate change goals are just as honorable as America's. Jeopardy superstar Ken Jennings loses out on a chance to host because of mind-meltingly offensive comments from his past. And let's prove that a broken clock is right at least twice a day, as we do Bill Maher. Stu does America. I believe it was John Lennon who said, Happy Christmas. War is over. Mm Mm-hmm. There we are. Today, the very last day of the war in Afghanistan. It's over, boys and girls. It is, it is, it is. We get this from the Washington Post. The Pentagon said Monday that the United States had pulled out the last of its troops and that the evacuation operation at Kabul's International Airport had ended. Yes, the end of America's longest war. Now, if you watch this show course, you might be familiar with the idea that I don't believe a good way of measuring the success or failure of a war is by calendar days. I just don't think it's the right way to look at it. I look at it as, did we offend the homeland? Did we keep our troops safe? Did we kill a lot of people who wanted to kill us? Some of those measures we succeeded, some of them we didn't. Uh, But when you really look at where we are, it's a disturbing situation as we uh, escape right in front of that Taliban red line they provided for us. So glad we're getting red lines assigned to us by the Taliban. Thanks, Joe Biden. We now have reported footage of Black Hawk helicopters being flown by Taliban members throughout Afghanistan. Black Hawk helicopters. One of them seemingly dangling a dead body below it on a rope or a cable. I think the dead body dangling below is an optional feature. We'll let you know. Look in your manuals. We now have all sorts of crazy stuff going on in Afghanistan. But don't worry, Joe Biden completely under control of this situation from The Washington Post in a story you really need to read beginning to end. Quote, on the Friday afternoon before Kabul fell, the White House was starting to empty out as many of the senior staff prepared to take their first vacations of Biden's young presidency. Earlier in the day, Biden had arrived at Camp David and Secretary of State Antony Blinken was already in the Hamptons. God, I want footage to come out of Blinken dancing with stupid Chris Cuomo in the Hamptons. That would make my day just a little bit better. (sighs) We couldn't even escape the Taliban at the end of this war. It's incredible. We couldn't even do that right. What an awful, awful, awful ending to a 20 year period that did change the lives for many people in Afghanistan. Unfortunately, seems like they're about to change back. This weekend, Bill Maher did his show and he went viral uh, for comments he made about Afghanistan, which is kind of crazy. I mean, 20 years after getting kicked off of ABC for making jokes about the bravery of the 9-11 bombers, he's back in the news on the same war. Glenn and I, by the way, defended Maher about that incident in 2002. 
I mean, what part of politically correct, uh, you know, I mean, the whole point of it was he's supposed to be politically incorrect. Remember that? We were supposed to, uh, you know, see somebody who made comments that he didn't care about the repercussions. The name of the show was politically incorrect with Bill Maher, and they canceled him when he made a, a somewhat offensive joke. We were opposed to cancel culture way back then, before it was cool. But Bill Barr's an interesting guy. We play some of his stuff here and there. Most of the time, he's still wrong, in my opinion. If you watch his show, he's on the left. He's going to be, in my view, wrong continually, most of the time. But he does seem to actually believe what he's saying, which is more than I can say for most of the people in the mainstream media these days. And he has a way of speaking clearly. And sometimes he just nails it. He just cuts through. So let's go through a couple of moments of perspective. Uh, as we look at the end of the war in Afghanistan, this, is, this was actually uh, recorded a couple days before the official end of that war, but he gave some really interesting perspective from his show this weekend. New rule, blind hatred of America is just as blinkered as blind love. And we, and we Americans should really get some perspective about where we live. Watching the go down in Afghanistan, I was reminded lately of every conversation I've ever had with an immigrant, almost all of which, if we got to really talking, included the notion, oh, you people have no idea. All you do is bitch about and badmouth your own country, but if you knew about the country I came from, you'd stop on your own. It's true, and it's all around the world. And while all this craziness is happening all around the world, I want to give you a little peek into what Americans are worried about. I want to show you the email I sent in response to my teacher saying they won't be using my pronouns this semester. I'm sorry, I think there was a misunderstanding here. You seem to think I'm making some kind of a request. I was just informing you of my correct name and pronouns so you know how to refer to me. Intentionally misgendering a student is actively creating a hostile learning environment oh and discriminating God. on the basis of gender identity. That goes against the school's non-discrimination statement. I know you wouldn't want to do that. I'm sure you understand that I expect to be treated with at least basic levels of respect and human decency in the classroom. I look forward to meeting you in class next week and working with you through the semester. Regards, Shade. They, them. That should get the message across, right? <laughs> it's a they, them mic drop. I can't understand why we're losing wars, guys. It's <laughs> Who would have seen it coming? I mean, we seem to be so well prepared for them. Here's another clip from Bill Maher. I'm sorry your professor said something you didn't like. That won't be a problem with the Taliban because you're not allowed to go to school. Hmm. In Saudi Arabia, grown women can be jailed for doing the kind of things we think of as routine without the permission of a male guardian. What about they thems, though? China rounds you up if you're a, the wrong religion and puts you in camps. More children in Burkina Faso work than are in school. Mm. Only 5% of Burundians have electricity. The homicide rate in Honduras is eight times what it is here. The inflation rate in Venezuela is 2,719%. The Philippines, in the last five years, has put to death 27,000 low-level drug dealers. My old job. <laughs> in North Korea, people starve to death. The only people who starve here are doing it for a role. <laughs> you know, I don't know how many real liberals like this used to exist. I think there was always an, an element of what we're seeing now and what we saw in the past. But Bill Maher is sort of that liberal that we used to think was the mainstream liberal. A person who 
know, totally disagreed with conservatives on policy, but loved the country and appreciated the country. Where has that gone? And while all the stuff that he just described is happening in the world, here's another view of what Americans were worried about. An example to explain non-binary or gender fluid, that's what I identify most as, I'm going to use race, so insert your race here. I'm a black person, so it's like you're walking down the street, walking down the street, and you see a group of black people, and you don't literally think like, oh, black people just like me, but there's this unspoken like tether of kinship attached to tether that. So, okay, kinship. now you're walking down the street, walking down the street, and you see a group of white people, and I don't literally think like, ugh. Let me change the race. So I see a group of Mexican people, and I don't literally think like, uh, or anything, but there's this funny disconnect. There's no kinship involved. And so, okay, now let's use gender. You're walking on the street, walking on the street, see a group of men, right? There's no kinship. There's no attachment that I feel. Walking on the street, walking on the street, and I see women. And again, there's just no connection. I don't feel like any gender. I feel like a skeleton in a skin mecha suit who's just trying to play the game. Not to say I don't feel feminine or masculine, but like at the end of the day, what I truly identify most as is like. Not exactly sure we have the right perspective in this country anymore. I mean, when you look around the world and you see what is going on, and then our entire culture seems to be obsessed with getting the pronouns right or saying, I mean, that, that was just blatantly racist. I mean, I do you ever walk down the street and see other white people, if you happen to be white, and say, gosh, I have an unspoken kinship with these folk? What are you talking about? Most white people are weird. I have nothing to do with them. They're strange. Just like every other person on this planet. No matter what color you are, you're strange. Just embrace it. But no, we're supposed to have an unspoken kinship with the same skin color while we have no connection with other skin colors or other races and apparently it's totally okay for a black person to just be just disgusted by the just the sight of a white person that's not racist at all we're worried about that that silly little nonsense when stuff like afghanistan and china and everything else is going on in the world again more perspective from bill maher we're not the bad guys. Oppression is what we were trying to stop in Afghanistan. We failed, but any immigrant will tell you we've largely succeeded here, and yet the overriding thrust of current woke ideology is that America is rotten to the core, mm. irredeemably racist from the moment it was founded, and so oppressive, sexist, and homophobic, we can't find a host for the Oscars or Jeopardy. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm sure you heard the new Jeopardy guy is out because he said boobies in 2014. Again, are these the problems we're really worried about? What some Jeopardy host said when he wasn't even the host of Jeopardy in 2014 on a podcast? Really? All of the serious stuff is going on in the world and that's what Americans are worried about? Let me give you another example of what Americans are worried about. Okay, let's have a moment of honesty because this is a safe corner and I want to talk about something that never fails 
to get me, like really get me. And not like get me in a good way. <laughs> and the thing I'm talking about are freaking towels. So I've been on a journey to like redo my spaces that I live in and that includes my bathroom. Who knew that finding a towel that was plus size friendly in a mainstream store would be like shopping for a needle in a haystack. So I've tried on towels, like literally tried towels on in stores and have yet to find one that fits my body. Mm. Example A, here I am in the wild trying on towels that are called oversized bath towels. And surprise, surprise, it didn't fit me. Are we shocked? I mean, with the way the fashion sizing is, I'm not. But it always gets to me because I'm human. And did I cry in Target? Yeah. But here's the thing. My embarrassment is now replaced by frustration and rage. Is it too much to ask for towels to fit plus size bodies? Is it too much to ask for towels to fit plus size bodies? That's where we are in this country right now. And like, look, I think the typical liberal response uh, is to step up and say, oh, I can't believe body shaming in this country. Darn you oversized towel manufacturers. That's what you're supposed to do. But Bill Maher is having none of it. Watch. Have you ever heard of honor killings? Public beheadings, throwing gay men off of roofs, arranged marriages to minors, state-sanctioned wife-beating, female genital mutilation, marriage by capture, because we have. What's the lesson of Afghanistan? Maybe it's that everyone from the giant dorm room bitch session that is the internet should take a good look at what real oppression looks like. Ask your maid. Ask your Uber driver. Ask the Asian woman giving you a massage. She'll tell you, this place is Shangri-La, and not just because she works in a place called Shangri-La. <laughs> America may not be the country of your faculty lounge and Twitter dreams, but no one here tries to escape by hanging on to an airplane. No. We wait till we're inside the plane to fight. <laughs> and then only because they cut off the beverage service. <laughs> what Bill Maher is saying here is something we've been talking about for a long time on the show. No matter what happens, people are going to be pissed off. No matter how good we have it, that visceral anger is going to exist. But the ultimate sign of the greatness of America is that now the things we get pissed off about are dumb. When your problems are this stupid, your country must be awesome. Anger and discontent must be directed somewhere. It's just what human beings do. We direct it at now what? Pronoun usage? At affinity groups? At towels that won't fit around our fat bodies, which by the way are fat because we have access to too much food. We riot against statues of people who oppressed minorities, while other places in the world still have the real people who are oppressing minorities currently. Even when our complaints have merit, they still pale in comparison to what is going on for billions of people in the world. Should we worry about conservatives being kicked off of Twitter? Yeah. Should we fight back against that? Sure. Would I hang on to a moving airplane to escape it? No. A lot of thought has been put into who won the war in Afghanistan. Most people will say we lost, and it's not exactly a crazy opinion. But in reality, we just got bored. We didn't care enough to do anything anymore over there. 
we just walked away. If he got into the ring with Mike Tyson in his prime and he knocked you out a few thousand times and eventually he got bored and walked out of the ring, leaving you there alone, did you win? Didn't seem like a win. It's probably more accurate to say neither side really got what they wanted. We obviously wanted a thriving country with freedom for all that wouldn't employ terrorist bombers. It doesn't look like we're getting that. I hate to break it to you. And I would bet that the Taliban's wish list from 2001 did not include two decades out of power and all of their senior leadership dead. But at the end of the day, we should recognize the truth is, in reality, we won. Because when you boil it all down, they have to live there and we get to live here. So, hey, look, if you're in America and you need to live here, you need to live somewhere, right? Like, probably going to be a really nice house. That's the way it is here. It's not going to be a hut with a bomb hole in the ceiling, most likely. It's going to be a nice house. You're probably going to live in a nice area. You're probably going to like life here in America. So when you're here and you need to buy a new home or sell your existing home, what do you do? You need a real estate agent who can actually help you do that, who can lead the charge to make sure you get the most for your money. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that person. Whether you happen to be resettling from Afghanistan or maybe you just are moving down the street. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go. The market's hot, as you know. It's a big time, a big moment, a really important moment in your financial life. If you choose to sell your home right now, get the most for it. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Get more information at realestateagentsitrust.com. It's always great to have Alex Epstein on the program. He's the president and founder of the Center for Industrial Progress and the author of the excellent book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. Alex, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Sorry, I don't have my usual beautiful studio. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's usually so nice. And uh, but it's it, you look great anyway, Alex. I appreciate oh. it. Maybe it's maybe it's the glow upon you uh, when you've heard the news that the Taliban wants to be accepted into the world and they're will, willing to work hard on climate change. Yeah, I mean, if we want to address climate change in the sense of lowering CO2 emissions, there's no better example to follow than the Taliban. If we all just become the Taliban, then we'll emit almost no CO2. <laughs> it's very true. But this is something they're actually proposing. Let me give you this. This is from uh, Newsweek. Comments shared exclusively with Newsweek. A senior Taliban official has called for global recognition of his group's rule over Afghanistan. And he said the group has plenty of off, uh, plenty to offer if the world embraces it, including fighting climate change. Uh, they say that apparently, according to Newsweek, they have been um, for years presented themselves as supporters of green initiatives such as tree planting and environmental protection. I mean, there's so many things to say about this, but I really do stand by what I said before. I mean, the Taliban is the embodiment of what it means to go green in the purest sense. Look, I mean, the reality is we need low cost, reliable energy if we're to be productive and have a good economy and flourish. 
billions of people lack that, the billions of people who have it are overwhelmingly using fossil fuels because that's the most cost-effective option for most people. So if you want to have prosperity, if you want to have flourishing around the world in the next several decades, you need to emit CO2. What Afghanistan shows, they have very low CO2 emissions because they're a very underdeveloped and poor country. They're also being taken over by a theocratic totalitarian evil movement. And that's you know what a lot of the focus should, should be on. But in terms of my expertise, they're a model of what it means to go green. And the fact that anyone is listening to them at all, I mean, that anyone believes anything is its own travesty. But I do think we should really recognize that the greenest countries in the world are the poorest. I mean, North Korea, they should win green, uh, you know, green country of the year award. They have almost no CO2 emissions. Right. And I think, you know, looking at the Afghanistan example, particularly, it's interesting because there's this sort of like love for the naturalist view of the world. Mm -hmm. And that like there's some if we return to the earth and we get back to where we were at some you know, mysterious moment in history, things will get much better. But there are places on the planet right now, all over the planet, where they're doing that and no one wants to go live there. Yeah, they want to they want to move away. So yeah, just this whole nature worship religion is, is a huge problem. We need to recognize that the earth is a naturally deficient and dangerous place and that we need a lot of low cost, reliable energy to make it an abundant uh, and and safe place. And, and again, this this is what we should be talking about. I mean, Afghanistan, you know, it shows us many things, but one thing is just highlighting how much of the world is desperately poor. You might have seen this news story, a so-called news story, New York Times is promoting it, CBS News, and they're saying, oh, climate change led to the rise of the Taliban. So, you know, climate change now causes everything. And what they're pointing to is, oh, there's a recent drought and a recent shortfall in crop production. But what they omit among many other things, is that in general, Afghanistan's food production has gotten way better. And there are multiple peer-reviewed studies that say that actually global warming will be very good for Afghanistan's uh, agriculture. And yet the media is totally uninterested in this. They're always looking for a narrative to say all the problems can be blamed on climate change. And this is immoral because they're just being dishonest about this case, but also because when you have a problem, you should look for what are the things within your control that really matter. And for Afghanistan, it's really within our control to do the most important thing, which is to have a rational foreign policy toward them. The idea that we're gonna blame climate change, which we can do absolutely nothing about in the near term, and that's a foreign policy, that to me is an abdication. It's just like Newsom saying, oh, climate change caused all of our fires in California, and so I'm not gonna do anything about the fact that we upped the fuel load multiple times. Yeah, it, it really is, I think, a central part of this when you go back and forth with people who really, I think, really legitimately care about the environment and wanna make the world a better place. And you talk to him about this, and. The uh, trying to to, you know, kind of magnify uh, something that we could actually do to change this uh, this issue for the better is really difficult when they try to articulate it. I think back to, um, you know, every once in a while you're you're on Twitter or something and, and a clip gets circulated of like the Today Show from 2000 or 1997, and they're trying to talk about what the internet is going to do and how it's going to be a factor of our lives. And they think, you know, some people think it's gonna go away in a few years. Some people think, well, maybe in the future you might be able to buy something on the internet. They have no concept of what is coming just 10 or 20 years ahead. Apply that to the climate. They're continually trying to predict what the climate's gonna look like 100 years from now. It seems almost impossible for someone to do that coherently, let alone apply what potential scientific advan uh, advances come in the, in the interim. 
Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, definitely climate prediction is incredibly difficult. No one really knows how to do it. What's striking to me, though, is when people are talking about climate change causes this, climate change causes that, and they're talking about it today, it's warmed one degree Celsius in the last 170 years. That's what, that's about two degrees Fahrenheit. Like that is something you can barely detect. So everyone is claiming everything in the world has gotten worse. Droughts have gotten worse. So there's not enough rain and there's too much rain, right? Just like in the 70s, we had global cooling and that was a catastrophe. And now we have global warming. Like the, the premise here is that any impact that human beings have is going to be negative and it's going to be catastrophic. And that is part of what I call this anti-human impact religion. Just the belief that all of our impact on nature is immoral and it's inevitably self-destructive. So this idea that, yeah, one degree, that must cause Earth to go from the Garden of Eden to hell, like that is just a total religious assumption. It makes no sense. And you can see this with their projections in the future because they're talking about, oh, what if it warms another half degree in the next several decades? And they're assuming, oh, it's gonna be all bad. But the world is very cold compared to its history. Warming generally occurs in colder places. Warming includes greening because it includes CO2. Nobody talks about the benefits. And so when you when you have people making these catastrophe predictions based on fairly minor changes in climate conditions and they're all negative, that is religion. That is, has nothing to do with science. Let me go to this because there have been major uh, new reports been released, the one in particular from the UN that has kind of given this, again, vision of doom for the future. And I feel like we're in this constant cycle of like one of these reports come out and everybody freaks out for a while. And then it sort of fades away. And in that time when it fades away, you know, the world generally starts to slowly improve and some people are lifted out of poverty somewhere in the world and it gets a little bit better. And then a new report comes out and we all freak <laughs> out again over the same thing. I mean, that cycle, first of all, can't be healthy. But like, what should we actually take from these reports when they come out? Well, I want to point to something that you said that's correct, that the report doesn't acknowledge, and it shows part of what's wrong with the report, which then gets really distorted by the media. So you mentioned that there are these catastrophe predictions and life gets better. Yet if you look at the UN reports, they don't acknowledge that life gets better. In one of their major reports, I put this on a recent tweet thread, they talked about, so the, if you think about the improvement on Earth, like just since I was born, poverty, extreme poverty has gone from 40% to less than 10%. So mm. four out of 10 people lived on less than $2 a day. Now it's less than one in 10. Like how amazing is that? Incredible. The UN report devoted half a sentence to all of the improvement of economic development and then undercut it and said, well, it's still not very good. And what's the main thing they said? The thing they said is the main story is we've had a lot of impact on the planet. So this is this anti-human impact religion at work. And this really drives the UN IPCC and then it drives the media. So their view is the earth has actually gotten worse. And if you think the earth has gotten worse, let's not talk about the future. If you think the earth is worse in the present than it was in the past, then you do not have a pro-human outlook on the world. You are not evaluating the world by the standard of human flourishing. You're evaluating the world by the standard of we should be eliminating uh, human impact. And so I think it's really important that the world keeps improving, but they keep saying the world gets worse because they think a bad world is not a world that's bad for humans. They think a bad world is a bad world that's been impacted uh, a lot by humans. And so that shapes how we should think about their predictions and statements about the future. Because if they think the present is bad, how could you possibly trust them uh, about the future? And so what you see with this report, the report actually doesn't say all that much. It just predicts a bunch of warming that we would be totally fine with if it happened. It's almost certainly exaggerated. But then what the media does, and not just the media, like the, the public spokespeople of the UN, like the head of the UN said, oh, it's code red for humanity. The report said nothing about that. 
Uh, and so it's just it's this distorted report that's only looking for negatives about fossil fuels. And then it gets more distorted by the media. And just to give you one example, a final example of how egregious this report is and the reporting is, the report, this whole multi-thousand page report does not mention once that climate-related disaster deaths have gone down by a factor of 98% over the last 50 years. Like if you look at my, just go to Twitter, Alex Epstein, it's my pinned tweet. It shows what's happened to these deaths. It's unbelievable how safe we are from climate. The UN Organization on Climate Change doesn't address declining climate-related deaths. The media doesn't. That's like an organization studying polio, not mentioning that we had eradicated polio. <laughs> it really is. I, I'm so glad you bring that up. And you, you talk about this, I think, more convincingly and more clearly than almost anybody I know. And it's, it's so important. It's about the way we think about our relationship with the world. We try to avoid, uh, you know, in, human impact on the, on the globe. But like... In reality, we want to impact the globe, right? We want to yeah, impact it for good. Yeah, of course. Like the world is, this is a thing, like people talk about like save the planet, protect the environment. No, I want to improve the planet. I want to improve our world. So I love everything that's good in our world. That's good for us. So, you know, I love beautiful trees and animals as like as long as we can keep ourselves safe from them <laughs> and buildings and, you know, the fact that we make something does not make it bad. I call this human racism because people think that, oh, if we made it, it must be bad. And if the rest of nature caused it, that's good. That means you have a bias against the human race, hence human racism. And I'm really out to eradicate human racism and get human beings to appreciate we are amazing. We have a, the ability to make the world a much better place. We don't always do it, but we mostly do it. Uh, this idea that we are some scourge that is viewing the rest of the earth as superior to us. And it's just us viewed as these like evil, uniquely evil creatures that shouldn't be allowed to exist. Uh, one more here before we leave, Alex. Um, we had this big storm, Hurricane Ida hit uh, uh, Louisiana. It, by all accounts, was a very uh, dangerous storm and, and did a, a lot of damage. The, the message from the media on this, though, is this storm without all of our evil actions is actually not that bad. We made it a lot worse and we're the cause of this. Can you talk about that for a second? Well, so this is, again, this view that everything is made worse by us. So this view that the I call it the delicate nurture premise of the planet is this delicate nurture and then anything we do to impact it must be bad. I would believe this. I would be somewhat inclined to believe any of these things if even 20 percent of the time they said, hey, here's a really good thing that happened because mm. of our impacts. Like, how can it be all bad if we're warming the earth, particularly at a cold period? And we know if you look at the science, it occurs, warming occurs mostly in cold places during cold seasons and cold times of day, mostly at night, actually. Like, how could that be all bad? And how is it bad? Like, there's not enough rain and there's too much rain. So what's happening is it's a very complex thing to understand climate. People really don't understand it well enough to attribute these specific events, but because they have this delicate nurture dogma, they think all human impact is bad. They just come up with some crank who has this idea and then they get to be the designated expert of the media. I would, I would uh, encourage people to read chapter one of the moral case for fossil fuels, which you can read free online. It shows the secret history of our experts on fossil fuels, and it shows that time and time again, they catastrophize things. So they predict catastrophic global warming, catastrophic global cooling, catastrophic resource depletion, catastrophic pollution, and yet they still remain the experts. They're more, the, some of the same experts get more and more popular, the more and more wrong they are. And that shows we have this anti-human impact dogma where it's like the fortune teller, like, okay, they were wrong 20 times, but they have to be right the 21st. And you have to realize, no, these people are operating on a very warped view of reality and a very anti-human view. 
And that's why they act the way that they do, saying that everything bad comes from humans and nothing good comes from humans. Mm, it's, it's great. And I would uh, second uh, your recommendation of your own book. Uh, we'll make sure we tweet out, uh, tweet out <laughs> right. a link to it. And energytalkingpoints.com. You can, you can learn about everything for free if you just search any issue on that site. Energytalkingpoints.com. And I would add, too, you know, this, this whole storm that just happened in Louisiana, you know, in the 16 years since Katrina, we, what we decided to do was impact the globe, impact, impact the environment, and build up the protections so that that didn't happen again. And they got hit with a stronger storm with what looks like less damage. That might be a good thing. Maybe we can consider yeah, that next time. And think of what if it happened 100 years ago? How yeah. would that be? I mean, we're so much safer from dangerous. This is a good point. I'm glad you brought it up. We're so much safer from dangerous storms than ever. And this is, I mentioned, climate-related disaster deaths way down. If people don't talk about that, if they talk about today's storms as unprecedented and they don't talk about our unprecedented protection from storms, then they are not a serious thinker. Mm. Alex Epstein, uh, president and founder of the Center for Industrial Progress, author of The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. We get all those links in the description and tweets and everything else at Studios America. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the program. Thanks, too. Interesting announcement from Harvard. Uh, Harvard, as you may know, was originally founded with the mission to educate clergymen in order to minister to New England's early Puritan colonists. Hmm. They've got a new chief chaplain, of course. His name is Greg Epstein. And of course, obviously, and I, do I even have to finish the sentence? He is an atheist. He was uh, raised in a Jewish household. And he has been described as a godfather to the humanist movement, a secular values-based philosophy that focuses on people's relationships with each other instead of God. He wrote a book called Good Without God, What a Billion Non-Religious People Do Believe. So what better person to oversee the religious community at a university that's completely lost its way than an atheist? Because that's just our freaking world right now. It's exactly what should happen. It's ex exactly what we deserve. The Taliban is back in control and atheists are leading religious institutions. Ta-da! Congratulations, America. Also, we have the story of the Jeopardy host situation, which I continue to be amazed by. So Alex Trebek dies, and it's really sad, and everyone feels really bad. There's a zillion guest hosts that come in. They finally announce they're going to make their own executive producer the host of the show. Okay, fine, whatever. I really don't care about who hosts Jeopardy. I don't watch Jeopardy. I, any, I mean, maybe I did when I was a kid. I haven't watched it in a really long time. But, okay, they're going to put the guy in as host. Well, apparently, he once said uh, something about women looking bad in one-piece bathing suits on a podcast in 2014. So now he gets fired. He gets pushed out. And I should say he gets pushed out back to his executive producer uh, you know, uh, role, which I kind of doubt is real and it will last. We'll see about that one. Um, but the kind of, I don't know. The, we, then we talked about uh, Miam Bialik, the uh, Blossom, and then she was on, uh, I want to say Third Rock from the Sun, but that's not right. A Big Bang Theory, okay? Some science, some science alien show, I don't know. And she was on that show, but she, she apparently said bad things about vaccines at some point. So now she's on the verge of being canceled too. So I kind of thought it would always be Ken Jennings, right? I thought Ken Jennings would be the guy. He's kind of the only person who's brought Je Jeopardy back into, 
I feel like the everyday, uh, you know, cultural back and forth in America over the past like 10 or 15 years outside of Alex Trebek. Like he's the guy, he won all those you know, uh, Jeopardy games in a row. It was a big story at the time. He seems like very well buttoned up and knows the game and is really smart. It would be a, a good choice. He seems like the right vibe for that for that uh, role. Well, apparently he can't get it either. Why? Hmm. Very, very devastating. And I want you to sit down when you hear what he said in 2014. 2014, bad year for potential Jeopardy hosts. In 2014, he tweeted. And it was then it was resurfaced which is just a fancy word for people who started searching his tweets and then started tweeting about it. And then the media acted like it was a news story when in reality it was just somebody retweeting an old tweet. That's resurfacing. That's what that's called. In 2014, he said this, nothing sadder than a hot person in a wheelchair. A little bit of a tasteless joke, maybe. A reason for a man not to get the hosting job of Jeopardy? No. All of this is crazy. And it goes back to what we talked about before, what Bill Maher was talking about in today's monologue. Our problems are dumb. Okay? If one tweet from 2014 can be the talk of the town, your, your country's almost too good. Maybe we need to, we, maybe we need to, to, to kind of go down a couple notches so we can realize what the hell's going on. I mean, so the last 18 months have not convinced you that the world can actually suck. Not just, oh no, uh, somebody tweeted something bad suck. I mean really suck. If that hasn't convinced you, what will? It's absolutely incredible. I think they should just give it to Aaron Rodgers now. Just give it to Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he needs a few more million dollars, I guess. Surely an NFL player has never said anything offensive. But he's, if he said something offensive, it probably was liberal. So it's probably okay. There you go. Aaron Rodgers, new host of Jeopardy. I just, I just named it. I think they should just give it to somebody. We'd never, just like some guy on the street. They should just go into you know, some random like Arby's. And whatever guy made the last roast beef sandwich gets the job. And then we'll let him do the job for like a week. And then we'll find a tweet from 2014. It will definitely be from 2014. And we'll fire his ass. And we'll go down to Hardee's down the street and pull some guy out of there who's making the big fat nine-pound burgers. And then we'll give him the job for a week. And then we'll give it to some woman who said something else terrible on TikTok. And we'll just keep doing this. We'll just keep rotating through all, all the people until all of us have hosted Jeopardy. That's the only way forward. Back in a second. Do you want to eat food that's like real and, and good and delicious and healthy? I think that would be the ultimate dream for most people. I know it would be for me. Now, most people don't get enough fiber. It would be, I think the amount of fiber you're supposed to have is equal to the, uh, to the amount that you get in two full heads of broccoli. I don't know. I, I mean, broccoli's fine, but I'm not eating that much broccoli. Uprisingfood.com decided to say, what if, let me just throw this out there. What if we came up with a really like good tasting bread, some really good tasting chips that were actually healthy. We know, we know you Americans, we know you wanna eat bread, we know you wanna eat chips. What if we made them delicious and we made them healthy? It's a crazy idea. Uprising Food has done it though. It's kind of like a high-end, like farmer's market type of product that you're gonna absolutely love with all the healthy stuff, but it's not going to turn you into a giant balloon. 
And that's not, that's not what they're trying to do here. They're trying to keep you healthy and trying to give you something you actually want to eat. Uprisingfood.com. If you go there, you can use the code STEW. You'll get 10% off the starter bundle. Starter bundle is like a mini trip to the grocery store, except uh, you don't get the unhealthy Cheetos and distractions while you're there. They'll ship directly to your door. This is great if you have kids, if you're just trying to be healthy yourself. It's fantastic. Uprisingfood.com. Use the code STU. You'll get 10, uh, 10 bucks off your order. The code is STU at uprisingfood.com. You can go to stewdoesamerica.com to get links to anything uh, on this program, including uh, Blaze TV. Go to blazetv.com slash stew. Promo code is STU for 10 bucks off your subscription. Uh, at Studios America, you can also get a link to the YouTube uh, channel of this program, which is growing by leaps and bounds. We should uh, tell you that you can comment on the show as it goes. We had a great show on Friday. Um, it was about Afghanistan. We talked to Spencer Corson, who uh, wrote a great book called The Safety Trap. And we kind of started talking about the, the issues veterans are dealing with as Afghanistan is ongoing. People who actually fought there and had to you know, deal with that whole situation are coming back now 20 years later and having to relive it. I think it's really powerful for a lot of people. Uh, Brent writes in, Spencer Corson's words hit me harder than I was expecting. So much respect to our service members. It's very true. And if you are you know, a veteran who is uh, in need, don't, don't feel bad about reaching out and getting uh, help uh, because, man, it is a tough thing to go through. I feel like even as a total schlub, a guy who basically just went to Taco Bell every day during 9-11, like that was basically all I did for the country. I supported Taco Bell. I, that's all I did. As a, even a person who just did that, which is a giant load of nothing, I still feel a lot, a lot of emotion, a lot of anger, a lot of embarrassment about what has gone on in Afghanistan and the way this has ended. I can't even imagine what our, our, our service members uh, have 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 had to deal with as we go through this. So we really do appreciate your service. Don't also, uh, you can also get that on a podcast. All our shows are on podcast and on YouTube. If you go to a podcast provider and you do review us, we'd appreciate that. Subscribe, please click subscribe. Click the bell if you see one around. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. This one comes in and says, awesome podcast. Unlike Andrew Cuomo, this podcast is definitely not awful. Maybe I shouldn't kick the man while he's down, but Lisa Page made me do it. That's my wife, by the way. Great show, Stu. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. I do appreciate that so much. I should also uh, thank you. Uh, as last week was our biggest week ever for our podcast, uh, setting new records seemingly every week these days, and we do appreciate it. It's all because of you. God knows it's not me. I just come up here and blab and rant every day, and if it wasn't for you actually like taking the time to subscribe and watch the show and share it with people uh, that you know that might like it, or people who might hate it and then complain about it on the internet, that helps a lot too. Um, we do really appreciate it, making the show a little bit bigger and more people can see, uh, I don't know, some hopefully occasional sane thoughts here and there at stewdoesamerica.com. Remember, when you get a five-star review to this podcast, it not only helps our podcast, but it hurts others. And that's the most important thing. Nancy Pelosi sucks pen.com. Nancy Pelosi sucks pen.com. Nancy Pelosi sucks pen.com. We are fully restocked. They're available for you now. Pick them up. Nancy Pelosi sucks pen.com. Okay, so here's what happened. Guy moves in with his parents and then gets a new job and he goes to Indiana and his parents are going to bring him his possessions. In his possessions is a rather large collection of vintage films, shall we say, with the titles like Lesbians in Tight Shorts, 
1001 Erotic Nights, and University Coeds 25, which is a completely ridiculous title, especially when University Coeds 22 was so much better. It's a superior film. Uh, but what happened was, I guess, the parents were like, I'm not going to drive, a tw I think it was 13 boxes of porn across state lines. We're just going to destroy it because our kid's a pervert, and obviously we need to teach him a lesson. Well, unfortunately, the kid got pretty pissed off, said it was a $30,000 porn collection, sued his parents for the porn collection, and won. $30,000, they now have to pay $30,441 to their son, plus $14,519 to their attorney. This is a very disturbing story on multiple levels, but the main one being, who keeps copies of physical porn in 2021?